once we're in the market, then we're happy to buy up additional locations, right? We've bought four more within the next couple of months just because we're already there. We already have a district manager. We already have like infrastructure, right? Which is the advantage of this like roll up because as you buy them, we don't want one location an hour and a half away. Yeah, for, yeah, for right. Us, for managing and transferring people and promoting and oversight and all this stuff. It's all decentralized right? from your hub, right? Yep. So anyway, Jersey's now built out with 11. We're actively looking to buy more there. And then a couple months ago, we did another deal, same thing. An older guy, want to retire, been in the business forever. Kids don't want it. Five locations up about an hour north of us doing about a million each, five, you know, five and a half million. I think he was doing. He's actually making pretty good money too. Owner financed again. You know, now we're at 30. It's amazing. So what's cool about this too is like the principles that I, you know, I'm talking about the strategy we've had can be executed in almost any industry with like any brand that meets certain criteria. And it's not just limited to automotive. Well, I'm excited to welcome to the show, Brian Beers. How we doing, man? Great. Thanks for having me, Matt. I always get excited to talk money, man, and building wealth. And uh, you've got a pretty badass track record of doing it uh, with some really cool strategies that I know many of our listeners are going to be very interested to learn how you've gone from, you know, starting in the family business to building, you know, massive wealth. You guys are going to do a little over 36 million in top line revenue this year. Um, a lot of this has been through seller financing and acquiring businesses and how you've really leveraged this franchise model to unlock some pretty amazing success. For those that don't know who you are and you know what you do, when somebody says, who the heck is Brian Beers and what do you do for a living, man? What do you tell them? Yeah. So I, um, you know, the short of is that we operate automotive repair franchises in the, the Philadelphia and New Jersey market. Um, you know, kind of the, the the backstory is, you know, my my dad got into the business in 1976 uh, with one location. He was 22 years old. He got in it because his cousin was up in Boston in the early 70s or whatever it was, and you know, said it was good business. And so, you know, he got into it with his dad. So, like, I'm technically, I guess, third generation. And uh, it was back then. It was all mufflers that everybody knows. Molly's mufflers that they built the entire business off of changing exhaust systems that rusted out every three years, just like changing your brakes or tires back then. It was, you know, you, you change your exhaust system. Um, over the years, the business evolved. Stainless steel came, right? And they, they kind of, you know, now they don't wear out like they used to. And now it's full service, you know, brakes, tires, steering, suspension, oil changes, all, all you know, all repair related work we do. And so, um, yes, yeah, so my, my dad and uncle built the business to about six locations in the Philadelphia market. And, um, you know, 08, 09, really, really tough on them. They were doing, I don't know, five or six million dollars and barely making any money. It could have been breaking even at that point. You know, you can have a lot of sales in any business, but if if your margins are are low, if your payroll's high, if your cost of good, you know, your cost of, you know, occupancy and everything gets out of control, you know, it, you could look really good on paper and everyone thinks you're making a lot of money because you got five or six million. But I mean, I think at that point they might have been literally putting money into the business to meet payroll some some weeks. Wow. So um, you, you never really know. And it's, it's like, that's the, the funny thing about sales is it's, uh, it, it only goes down from whatever that number is. But, um, so anyway, I, I joined after college. I went to the University of Miami and joined in 2010 and, um, just trying to learn the business. I knew nothing about cars. Uh, I know a little bit more now and just trying to, you know, learn it and breathe new life into it and bring, you know, new ideas and technology and just some culture and some fun. And so, um, Anyway, I, I had success with that and you know started to turn the business around. 
Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast that's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial let linkedin sales navigator help you sell like a superstar today just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started For those that don't understand kind of the the franchise or franchisee model, what is it? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, every every brand is a little bit different. Um, but in our our brand, you know, there's there's like Midas, Midas corporate or whatever, Midas, but everybody knows and they they kind of own the brand. So they own the the website, they own the, the kind of the marketing choices they have, you know, this book of procedures of how you do things, right? And then there's franchisees who are the operators. So we go, we pay them a, an initial fee to like kind of buy in. And then we pay an ongoing fee through, through royalties, which are normally a percentage of sales to then operate under their brand. So for example, all of our stores are, you know, Midas shops, but at the end of the day, like we're our own company, right? So we have our own employees, you know, I'm the boss, you know, my, my brother's my, my partner, right? And, and we make our own choices. So in a lot of ways, you know, we kind of have the best of both worlds. Where we have this national brand behind us, we have buying power. We've got, you know, we're on TV, we're on SEO marketing, we're on like MLB playoffs, right? All this stuff that I, as a business owner, have no like, you know, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Someone else takes care of all the marketing stuff. And what I need to do is focus on operations, which is like hiring really good people and training them and motivating them and getting them to follow this system that we know works. And you know, what's what's cool about Midas, and this happens in a lot of different brands, is you still can like live within this box, right? So like, you know, we still innovate with trying new, trying new ways of services, right? And there's like new ways of structuring. I don't know, you can sell multi-year alignment packages, for example, instead of selling like a one-time alignment to make sure your tires are straight, right? We sell a like a multi-year package that then they can come back multiple times and it's like a discount if you know they buy the package. Right. So there's things like that that we we work that can spread through others and there's other ideas that other franchisees create that that we can use, and so I, I read a story the other day that you know, and McDonald's is big on this. So they look a lot for their franchisees to 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 innovate. And the Big Mac was created by a franchisee. The Egg McMuffin was created by a franchisee. The uh, what was the other one? The Filet O Fish, like all these big big products, their best selling stuff was created by the franchisees. So uh, in terms of innovation, it's it, it goes both ways. On the, you know, profitability and kind of the structure of it all. 
right? And I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand, you know, how this franchisee, franchors, franchisor uh, economic model works. And there's, like you said, thousands of different, you know, franchisee, uh, you know, franchise brands and structures that are out there. Talk a little bit about what yours looks like specifically and, and maybe what some of the other ones out there look like that people should be thinking about when they're doing due diligence on the economics of some of these brands. Yep. Yeah. So a lot of them are going to be similar. I've seen, I've seen two real buckets of, of ones when I've, when I've looked at it. There's like the traditional model, which is going to be a percentage of your sales on an ongoing basis. Um, and so we'll pay, for example, in ours, it's, it's roughly 10% of, of our sales. And of that 10%, half of it, so 5%, goes to corporate like for them to operate in their profit center. And then the other half of it goes into the marketing bucket. And then that marketing bucket is then split amongst a, n- a number of different layers. Like Some of that money goes to spend on, on national marketing, which is like you know, MLB playoffs or whatever on TV. Some of that goes to you know, regional like DMA level. So for example, the Philadelphia market is going to get some of that money for you know, SEO, like search engine optimization and keyword searches and other things. And then a little bit of that money is then going to trickle down to like more of a local level to help drive local stuff. Now, as the franchisee, you have no control over you know, how they distribute that money. If, if the franchisor decides, hey, the best use of this money is we're going all in on... on um, whatever football this year and, and we're not going to spend any money the rest of the year. Like they, they do have, you know, the power to do that. Uh, if you know, you're in Texas and you're generating, if Texas is a huge market and, and generating a huge amount of budget, but they say, well, we want to take some of that money and spend it in Philadelphia. They can do that. Right. Um, yep. So you, you have limited control over that and you just kind of have to know, you have to obviously trust the people in charge and, and have a good relationship to, to make sure it's working. That's how, at least in terms of like the money you pay, most it's 10%, you pay it every month, and half of it goes to them, half of it kind of goes into this, this marketing bucket. Um, there's also some other ongoing fees, like you might have certain software that you need to use that has a, has a subscription fee. Um, there are some, some brands require purchasing through them. Like if you're in a food brand, like you operate Domino's, like you have to buy your food through Domino's owned subsidiary of a food distributor, right? Because they need consistency in the brand. Yep. Now in, in our business, you know, we're, we're selling auto parts and tires and like, you know, you buy brake pads from AutoZone or Advance or Napa. It's, you know, whatever. They're, they're all the same. Um, so we don't like, we don't have those like supplier restriction complaints. But in uh, some, some ones, do they, people have concerns about that though. You know, that's a big, that's a big topic of, you know, the freedom franchisees have and, you know, not wanting to be controlled, uh, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, where we buy and what we pay. But, um, and then, then there's this other model I've seen, which is like these are more for like the low cost franchises, yeah. where they just pay like a fixed fee per month. They pay like 500 bucks a month or something, and they might own just like a little territory, like a zip code or something. If it's like a like a home service business or something, and that they you know they they pay 500 a month, and that goes to kind of maybe some of the marketing or some of the lead gen, but you know uh, they are then required to spend their own money on all this marketing, right? So then if they if they're really good at it, they make good choices. You know, it'll it'll turn out well, but if they're if they're poor at it, uh, they might have been better off if they're on a system that helped them out with it. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the overall kind of profit margins that franchisees see in certain franchise models? Obviously, I under, understand that that really comes down to the operator and how yeah, it's the operator they the, are. 
the but what rule of thumbs are you guys aiming for? Yeah, I mean, our target's 10%. Uh, I would say, you know, it, it really depends on a, a number of factors. Like, you know, we can have some locations that, that earn 20%. And, you know, I have another location, we lost $100,000 in nine months. So, you know, it's kind of this balance of the two. And sometimes when you're growing, and, you know, we haven't talked about the growth yet, but sometimes when you're growing, you know, you, you're buying money, lose locations that are losing money. It's actually yeah. very easy to buy a location that's losing a hundred thousand dollars, right, in, in a year or whatever it is. And so, you know, the the skill set is the ability to turn these things around and to have profitable stores to help kind of weather the storm and give us time to get the right people in there and change the systems and change the reputation and do all these things. And so, you know, when you're in growth mode, the margins are a lot lower. Like our margins are lower than that, lower than, than as a group, ten percent. Like, like say year to date, and a lot of it is because we're constantly reinvesting back into the business, constantly buying new yep. locations. You know, a lot of locations that we're buying have def- have like all this equipment that needs to be replaced. They have roofs that need to be replaced. And you know, that's that's part of this growth plan is you're buying something that someone else doesn't want. And you know, so we 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 go back and we were putting all this money back into the business because honestly we get the best return through investing in ourselves and investing in the business versus in the, in the stock market. Um I mean, as an example, maybe we'll go a little bit further into some of the owner finance and stuff. But you know, we we did a location. We bought, we paid fifty grand down for it, um, uh, owner financed, and it made four hundred thousand dollars in that the next twelve months. And so we got like an eight x return on our on our money, right? Eight hundred percent return on 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 that one. And so, you know, that that's all part of the game. But you know, as a as a as overall, when you're looking at systems, it really depends if it's if it's a retail based. Company like you need to have a retail location like we do, four thousand to six thousand square feet. You know, in a, you know, near Chick Fil A or Taco Bell or whatever. Um, you know, ten percent, like eight, ten, twelve. That's kind of all, all in the range. Uh, for for location for businesses that don't need that, and it's more of like a um, like a mobile business or a home service or something that you can like operate from home or you can operate out of a warehouse space. Yep. You know, those guys we're seeing. Uh, I have friends that are in the twenty to thirty percent range. That's so. Amazing. And that's they, net, they can, net profit on yeah. the company at the end of the year. Yep, some of the, some of them can hit that. If you know, it's it's obviously a combination of you got to have good sales. Yep, right. You got to be able to control costs. But you know, for guys who don't have fixed overhead, like they don't have the retail location, that's you know a hundred grand a year or occupancy cost or whatever it is, uh, it, it can work out pretty good. So now that business, ha- those businesses have their own challenges, but right. So when you got into the business rolled up your sleeves and really just got under the hood and started working your butt off. And you obviously breathed life back into, you know, the family business and what you guys were doing. At what point did you decide it was time to start growing? And how did you tool up the strategy and the team in order to do that? Yep. So we decided in 2016, let's call it that, you know, we had six locations in. We said, hey, I think it's it's time to grow. We've we're we're seeing you know, progress on our sales. I think we got the stores from I don't know five million dollars for the six of them to like over over seven million. You know, so we at that time, so we we had, we had seen some growth there, and we felt that hey, we can we can do more. Um, you know, we've kind of got this infrastructure. At a certain point, you have you know a number of fixed costs, whether it's the back office, the district manager, whatever it is. And the, the only way you can like make more money is you got to grow your same store. Sales, right? Or you know, if you can add another unit that kind of folds in with no additional overhead, you know, all the money that that location makes falls to the bottom line. And so, um, yeah, so that was that was our first acquisition. We bought two locations, um, you know, right in the, the the Philadelphia market that were, 
you know, a little outside, kind of where current ones were. So it fit in nice. And um, that was the first time, the only time we went to a bank or uh, to, to put together an acquisition deal. It was SBA or just uh, just a local bank that you know we did some business with, and you know we we owned a couple of the properties and were able to you know put up one of the properties as a as collateral to help um, you know secure the loan. And you but, guys uh, own all of the real estate that the businesses no, are operating out of? No, no, I wish no. I mean, out of um, you know, I think we own seven or eight of them. Okay. You know, we, we try whenever we can, but that's the other thing with franchises. A lot of times, the franchisor wants to control as much of the real estate as possible. Yeah, they they do this in two ways. One is you know, they either own the building and they lease it to you, or you know, they have a direct lease with a, a third-party landlord yep. and they sublease it to you. Mm-hmm. And over the years, they have lost entire markets because someone owned all the real estate and then they wanted out and they sold everything to a competitor. Mm. And they, they try to put some some you know land lease control things, you know, these documents in place, but at the end of the day, unless they're willing to match an offer or take over the locations at, at the matched offer rent, it doesn't make sense. So yeah. um, it's it's hard. That is the one downfall. Is it's it's not impossible. Like I said, we have we have seven of them. I have buddies. I mean, there's a group that has a hundred locations and they own every single one of their properties. Right. Wow. But it's all built. Like they're going out buying real buying dirt, building locations, ground up. Right. Yep. It's, it's a whole different model than my model, which is you know buying out existing franchisees for as minimal money out of my pocket as possible. Yep. Um, so let's talk about that. As you were yeah. scaling, right? You were, you, you, hey, okay. Most people go, okay, cool, scale, right? Let's let's talk about that. Uh, oftentimes, that requires, in many people's minds, a lot of capital to go from six locations to the thirty locations that you guys are in now and rapidly growing. So, how many millions of dollars did that take you to get there? Yeah, so uh, I believe at this point, I don't, I forget the number it keeps growing, but it's somewhere in the five or six million range. Uh, that's all been owner financed. So, you know, kind of the path we took was, you know, we got these two in 2016, and then we decided in 2017, you know, at this point we we added a district manager could kind of take over. I was kind of the district manager. I ran the day to day. My phone rang a hundred times a day or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was hiring, firing, training, doing everything. Yep. I said, hey, for me to concentrate to focus in the business. We got to, you know, promote somebody within to kind of take over all that. And I can, I can focus on that. So we, we bring him on that obviously frees me up. Um, 2017, we, we do another location, um, that I, I believe we got owner financed. I think I'm pretty sure that was one that we did for like, I don't know. I think we bought it for like 180 grand or something. It might've put 20 or 30 grand down and, you know, make payments over a couple of years on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20, 2018, we did another one. Twenty nineteen, we did another one. All all these are owner financed uh, deals that are, you know, like the the twenty nineteen deal was was one we bought it for three fifty, and we put fifty grand down and I think three thousand a month for like ten year amortization mm-hmm. with like a five year balloon. So the cool thing is you can structure these any way you want. Like right. you know, our strategy is to try to get you know somewhere around ten percent down with a, a monthly payment that's roughly. Three thousand dollars for for like a single store, mm-hmm. and spread it out over as long as a period as they'll let us. Yep, and um, and then you can play with the interest rates and make them whatever you want. That makes sense, right? Yep. So anyway, we did a number of those deals that were just kind of, you know, all the money we were making, we're just kind of putting them back as down payments to buy more, to buy more, as as we then build our internal company structure to be able to handle this stuff. So building out the back office, building out multiple district managers now. Um, you know, kind of investing into ways of 
of how we can save money. Like the bigger you get, the easier it becomes for cost savings. And you probably know this in your your business, right? You you got a bigger hammer to swing sometimes with your vendors and economies of scale. Yep. So um so anyhow, and then in in late twenty what or early, yeah, early twenty twenty one, we decided, hey, let's let's make this big jump. We had twelve locations at the time. Let's go into a new market. We we decided New Jersey would be a great fit. It's like an hour and a half away. And so uh, there was a friend of mine who had seven uh, locations who was basically my dad before I joined. So, you know, they weren't making much money. They were like, he was tired. You know, his kids weren't interested in the business and just, um, you know, great stores. He had great people working for him. But, you know, they just, he was tired and just wanted out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we struck a deal with him to buy, you know, seven locations in a single shot. And, Beautiful. um, that was a great, you know, entry into the to the market. Owner financed as well. I think that deal was about, you know, it was about a million dollars, and I think we put, you know, twenty twenty percent down. It's about two hundred grand on that. And once we we're in the market, then we just started. You know, we're happy to buy additional locations, right? We bought four more, you know, within the next couple of months, just because we're already there. We already have a district manager. We already have like infrastructure, right? Uh, which is the advantage of this like roll up, because as you buy them. We don't want one location an hour and a half away. Yeah, for, yeah, for right. Us for managing and transferring people and promoting and oversight and all this stuff. It's all decentralized right? from your hub, right? Yep. And so, um, so anyway, Jersey's now built out with 11. We're actively looking to buy more there. And then a couple months ago, we did another deal. Same thing. An older guy, want to retire. He's been in the business forever. Kids don't want it. Um, five locations up about an hour north of us. Doing about a million each, five, you know, five and a half million. I think he was doing so good. Actually, making making pretty good money too. Owner financed again, and you know now now we're at thirty, pretty close to it. It's amazing. So, you know, there's what's cool about this too is like this the the principles that I you know I'm talking about the strategy we've had apply to to can be executed in almost any industry with like any brand that meets certain criteria, and it's not just limited to to automotive. So talk a little bit about how you've created this kind of investment and, and growth philosophy and strategy within your business and how it may apply to other business owners who are looking to grow and scale. So the part of the philosophy, right? So I guess, part, you know, one of the big things is like overcoming like, like limiting beliefs that you have in your head. Like, so for us, you know, I had this limiting belief years ago that like our success in Philadelphia was purely based because like we were right there and I was hands on and like, you know, that no one could do it better, like, you know, than me managing it directly every day. And that's that's how my dad did it. Right. Now it was his that was how he built the success and provided tons of, you know, great life for our family. And that's how I was doing it too. And so then when you think of like, oh, but to grow for me to grow in Philadelphia or to grow outside Philadelphia, like I can't be at those stores every day. And like, you know, they're not going to do well. And like, so then I don't want to grow. Right. So you like Sometimes you have these things in your head and you don't even you don't even recognize them until you start to challenge them to say, what, you know, how, how do I develop this growth mindset? And that's for me, I, I realized that. And, you know, then I identified, well, what are the traits that I have? Right. So the traits are like you, you have someone who oversees them who is, you know, proud of the locations, right? And they care about success and they're working hands-on and like, you know, what what are these traits? And so, you know that's kind of how we've decided to grow or how we've been successful in growing is we find people who then run these markets for us. You know, we call them district managers, but they run all the day to day and they're in the stores and they're hands-on and they like are treating it like it's their own. Right. And that has then unlocked our ability to say, Hey, now we can go here. Now we can go there. If we wanted to go to, 
you know, DC or Baltimore, Florida or Indianapolis or St. Louis, right? We could we could do it again as long as we can find someone who we trust is gonna have the same like bars we would when you walk into these stores and that, that we're proud of them and they produce and they find good people and all and all that stuff. So for me, that was like the first big aha moment in terms of how do I like how do I put together this growth plan is figuring out why have why haven't I done it yet? And then what do I gotta change about how I think to get there? Yeah, absolutely. I know one of the hardest things is, you know, identifying that talent and then giving them the right tools and resources to succeed through them. What's your process for identifying and auditing that talent and their performance? And what rhythms do you keep with them to ensure that the standards of your company values and product and service, you know, remains above? Yeah, great, great question. Um, you had a lot there, so hopefully I'll hit uh, hit most of them. But um, so you know, we look at core values a lot. You know, we follow kind of like the traction scaling up some of these 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 books, and it's like identify your core values. And for us, it's you know we want people who are driven. You know, they want to succeed. They want to like you know they're 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 highly motivated to to be the top on the list, right? We don't want people who are just sitting back and just oh whatever happens happens. Like that's not me. That's not who we want in our people. So we want someone's guys who who are driven by success. Who are team players, so they they look to help others first. So if whether it's it proactively too, so you see someone struggling, they want to help them out. They're not waiting for them, right? So we look that in our in our leaders, and honestly, every, everyone that that works for us, we have people that with a high level of integrity, especially in the automotive repair business, kind of like got a bad rap. And so we want people who like always do the right thing. If you have to question whether it's the right or the wrong thing, it's the wrong thing, right? And uh, that they they realize that the reputation is like the most important thing, and that n- nothing can should should be able to break that. Um, and and they're accountable, so they like do what they say they're going to do, and they they follow up. And like you know, there's nothing worse than you know having somebody who says they're going to do something. It's all just lip service, and then that doesn't like it doesn't help create the you know success or move the ball forward at all. Mm-hmm. So you know, we kind of identify those traits. And then we're obviously looking in our in our leaders to have like 100% on every one of those traits, right? And they just they just crush it. And they're just a glowing example of someone who's very driven. And they they, they, they always do the right thing. And they, they're they're always accountable, like do what they say they're going to do. And, you know, it, it and, and I got to do the same, right? I got to be the I got to lead by example, I want my DMs to lead by example, and, and, and goes down the hill. So that's how we identify them. Uh, in terms of like actually how they apply, I mean, we've promoted from within a bunch. Uh, we try to identify people who've, you know, in in the organizations that we're acquiring, kind of who stands it out uh, in terms of you know these factors. Um, a lot of it's just gut feeling. Like even my the guy in Jersey I hired, I, I mean, I had like a hundred people apply to my ad. And, uh, you know, I think I talked to two of them, him and another. Like I'm I'm pretty good at like reading through resumes, reading through like. You know, how does that initial call go? Like, what's their energy level? Do I like talking to this person? You know, there's, I don't know, a lot of a lot of hiring. Honestly, is at least for me, my success is just just gut feel and like, do I trust this person? And do I think you know, they, you know, they have good intentions? So when you're reading through resumes, right? I think a lot of people, you know, have written off resumes. Um, you've heard the Elon Musk that like, I don't care about a resume. What is your approach when you're hiring for a particular role and you're looking at the resumes? How do you discern who you want to meet with and you know what stands out to you? Well, I mean, truthfully, I haven't hired anybody in a while. So that's a little uh so it might be a little out of date, but you know, and I only hire the highest level. Actually, I recently hired a COO uh to take over all of our 
my brother and I's operational responsibility. So I, I did read his resume. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I want to see A, that like... I mean, there's super common stuff, right? They've only had a few jobs. Like they've shown progress in their jobs. They're not like job hopping like every six months or three months. Uh, I, I dig in on those if I'm the one talking to them of why they leave, what was better or what was worse about your current one or why did you leave for something better? Just trying to understand like why would they leave us? Uh, and if they, you know, if it's like, oh, I just got a better dollar. Oh, this guy, like, if it's all these excuses and all this, like, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm done there. So, I, you know, I, I, I pay attention very closely to tenure and reasons of why they left. Um, you know, that you don't know until obviously I'm talking to them, but, you know, relevant experience. I, I, I'm looking for, like, when they apply, do they give a little description? Like, one of my questions on Indeed or whatever is like, you know, tell me why, you know, why does this job interest you? And like, so somebody who goes and takes the time to actually write out, some relevant details. And if they did any research from the company, uh, I'm like instantly talking to that person versus the people who's just clearly they're just mass apply and auto apply to everything versus someone who actually took the time. They answered a specific question in an intelligent manner. I'm like, all right, this person's got good attention to detail. And like, they clearly like, this is, this could be a fit or they think they could see themselves doing this versus somebody who's just, you know, whatever, just I'll apply to anything. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Yeah, you bring up a really good point in that. I know, at least for us, when we're hiring in the hotels, somebody who really has taken the time and put in the diligence to dig into our company, our model, our culture, and they actually find things that are somewhat hard to commonly just know, uh, that in itself is an immediate way to get time with me. Because... It shows a level of, you know, I think drive and persistence and diligence to go in and kind of peel back the layers to an onion on an opportunity that really does separate you from all the mass suppliers, right? The people that are just, uh, you know, hitting the click, you know, submit button on as many jobs as they possibly can. As you have 
you know, grown your team, obviously keeping everybody on the same page, moving towards the same North Star, the vision, the accountability. What does that rhythm and framework look like from your leadership team on down? Well, it's it's changing. Uh, you know, one of one of the things I realized too, and I, you know, you hear this in the books and all this stuff, but like is that, you know, as like what got you here won't get you there. Right. Yeah. So for me, like I was really good at growing the company to to now whatever 30 locations. But like I'm not I'm not really good on on some of the operational follow-through. Like my I'm like more the visionary. I'm the one like chasing the opportunities, chasing the relationships, trying to figure out, hey, what's our angle to grow here? What's the next best thing? And that's the completely different skill set than the person who has to like hold everybody accountable for like doing the things they said they were gonna do. And so you know, I've we've identified that, and part of you know our big thing was we like so we we brought in a chief operating officer, COO, who started two weeks ago, as of today, and because that was his skill set is like all that stuff, and so he's revamping it, and a lot of it is just trying to simplify things. Like I think I have a tendency to to I'm like a numbers guy and data person, and you know I can make these crazy spreadsheets and crunch all these numbers, probably similar to, to you, and like when you're looking at all these deals, and like I need to do that to process things, but then I. You know, I used to just put it out there at all, all of our team, but then it was like, you know, what's like what's important when you show this giant spreadsheet of numbers that's all these different colors, red and green, and like it's like a Christmas tree, versus you know, how do I take this information? How do I boil it down to just like the key things? And how do we how do we get in front of people and with actionable things around it? And so, a lot of what 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 we're now kind of redoing here is like, how how do we just simplify this thing down? How do we set action plans just around three numbers that we then follow through for four or five weeks until like the the problem is solved, the muscles built, however, the, whatever the analogy, before we move on to the next one? Because mm-hmm. that's one of my big problems is like, you know, we see a problem, we stay on it for a week or two, we start to create some traction, and then I see another problem, and then we go after that one. But we didn't actually solve or improve on the the metric that we were trying to achieve. And so, you know, one of the big things now is, you know, that, you know, our, the CEO will help us with is, Let's pick our three things. Let's stay on message. Like, don't don't veer off of it until we until we're just like crushing these things. Yeah. And then, if we crush those things too, a lot of our other problems will be solved. That's that's part of it is trying to because like I said, as business owners, we look at all these different things and it's like really trying to narrow down what are just the key important things. If we can get these things right, nothing else matters. Or those things matter, but they don't matter as much. Or they'll just fall in line. Like we get this thing down, everything else will just kind of fall in line as expected. And so, you know, my, our style now has changed from maybe a more complicated thing to try to, hey, let's, how do we keep this simple, but, you know, effective in, in making progress? What's the big goal? Are you building for a large exit at some point in time in the future? Is it for snowballing cash flow and, you know, as growth catches up and the team and the, infrastructure gets built out even further. You guys are ultimately just unlocking an insane and amazing lifestyle. What's the big vision for you and your brother? Yep. It's uh, a good question. You know, we're, we're struggling with the, what the right answer to that is. Uh, we've had a couple different ones right now. It's right now we're in growth mode. So it's like all the money's just going back in the business, buy it, buying and buying and buying and buying. And then it's going to be eventually, hey, once we stabilize these things, that yeah, it becomes a good cash flow business for us, no, no doubt. And then it's a question of, well, how big do we want to grow it, right? And do we want to grow to fifty million? And does that fifty million mean 
that's the same 30 stores or maybe it's 35 stores or whatever, but all within our region? Or do we say, hey, let's go to five other markets, right? And how do, how do we grow this thing even bigger that all come with you know, unique challenges? And I don't, I don't know the answer to that yet. Uh, what I know is we're going to keep growing. I know we want to grow same store sales because you know, as you grow a business, it's like it's so much more profitable. If we can add a million dollars of you know, to, to our existing business, it's way more profitable than if I add a one store that's doing a million dollars. Right. Um, and so I think, but it's a lot harder though, right? You, it's a lot harder to like take these stores and just continue to add volume because the habits within the stores need to change and evolve versus, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to have a whole lot of average stores versus, you know, less exceptional stores. Yeah. Way more profitable. Way easier, less headaches. I, I at least think, right? Less is less is more there. Um, so I don't know. We don't know what that balance is yet. But uh, on the other hand, like if we can continue to duplicate success, you know, why not stamp them out in all over the country? So, yep, absolutely. I know that. Oh, go ahead. In terms of exit, uh, I don't know. I you know we've we've toyed with the idea of what does private equity look like or what's like who would buy it. But then, you know, I don't know. In the franchise space, I don't think they trade for you know. Uh, a much higher multiple compared to if we were in a tech business or you know whatever another type of business. So at the end of the day, it's probably going to be a hold on for as long as we can, buy as much real estate with the money as we can, you know, and eventually um, you know shepherd it to to somebody else in uh, a couple decades. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about kind of how you're you're using the wealth and income you're creating in the business to build beyond and other vehicles and assets. But before we move on, real fast. Um, what's been your most, you know, exciting or successful deal that just stands out to you as one of your favorites that you've done along the way? Um, yeah, so it'll be it'll be this one store I mentioned. We we bought it in in the end of 2018, and it was in in the city of city of Philly, and it was doing about nine hundred million dollars in sales. And you know, you would think like that's average, like that's like an average unit, maybe a little below. And you would think like, oh, this is like a good spot. We bought that. We bought it for three fifty. That was the one, and we we paid fifty grand down. And so we 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 pretty much revamped the whole team. We almost had to replace every single person because they're all duds. And uh, we so we bring in our existing guys, like guys who had worked in other stores, and uh, we bring, we kind of assemble this this rock star team. And the next year we did one point seven. Like twelve months later, we had we literally doubled the business overnight. And um, yeah, I think made like. 400 grand that year. And then the next year we did the same thing and the next year and it's been pretty consistent now at this number. So it's it's one of our most profitable stores, great team like, you know, we we paid off that note in 3 years instead of 10 years and just wow. um, it's been it's been a good one. So and even then like, you know, we're doing about 1. Point, you know, what 1.8 2 million something in that range right now. But like that store we could probably double the business. Like we could probably make it it could probably be our best store doing 4 million. It's just the, the challenge it becomes how do we figure that out? Like, and you know, it's the same four walls, it's the same, you know, six bays. It's how do we how do we double our production? Because the demand is there. Like, there's ton of demand, highly populated. There's no competition. You know, the phone's ringing off the hook. But it becomes a new challenge because then you're gonna need like, you know, how do you out? How do you double your output? I yeah, it becomes a new challenge. So, anyway, that one's that one's good and been a steady a steady eddy for us. Good problem to have for sure. Now. Talk a little bit about how you structure, you know, paying yourself out of this. I mean, you guys are obviously making, you know, people go, whoa, 30 locations, 36 million in top line revenue. You know, what a lot of people don't understand is obviously, 
you know, the structure and behind the curtain of a business, if you're willing to share, you know, how, how, how do you structure what you guys are paying yourself and why, and, you know, how are you utilizing that, uh, that income to continue to grow your wealth beyond just, you know, the automotive businesses? Sure. Yeah. I'll touch on what I can there. So I mean, for us, we're not, we're not pulling 10% out. Uh, let's say like, that's the target. We're not there yet. You know, that's the goal. You know, we're putting a lot back in. We just spent a hundred thousand dollars on one of the buildings with new roofs and, and equipment and renovations to it. And that's the that's the thing. Sometimes a lot of a lot of times these these locations we're buying have tons of deferred maintenance. I mean, even these Jersey locations, I want to say we put at least five hundred thousand dollars back in. So like we make five, you know, that's just like that could be ten percent of the business. If we did five million, that's ten percent. We should have we should have made five hundred. But instead of like taking that in, into your bank account, you have to like take that cash and actually reinvest it back into it. So even, even if it looks like we made it because of the P&L on a cash basis because of, of how we had to redeploy it to buy roofs, to fix roofs that are you know leaking water onto lifts, right? Like you can't have that, right? To have lifts that are down, to have tire changers that are down, to have you know parking lots that have like holes in them and, and issues, right? So like, especially in the beginning when you're building the business, it's like, at least our mindset is going to be, hey, we want, we're going to hold these things for a while. So we have no problem. Just all the money we're making from the thing, putting it back in, putting it back in, putting it back in. And then this next, over the next 12 months, we've, you know, there'll be issues. But like now that we fixed all these things for the next 12, you know, all this incremental cash flow, we should be able to have a better, you know, a better use for it. So, you know, our, our, that's kind of been our, always our philosophy for the last couple of years has been, you know, we, we take, obviously, we take some money out of the business, but, a lot of the money has just continued to be reinvested. And that's how we've hockey stick growed this thing from, you know, whatever six million or whatever we were doing a couple of years ago to, to 36 now. It's it's because we continue to to reinvest it. So currently that's where the majority of the money goes. Um not to to buying like Teslas or anything cool. We uh we keep keep it simple. Um, you know, we follow we kind of follow the the profit first model. Are you okay. familiar with that? Yeah, Mike Michalowitz. Mike Michalowitz, yep. Um I got him to agree to come on my podcast in a couple uh, couple months now, so I'm, I'm excited for that to, to meet him in person or virtually. But um, for those who don't know, it's a simple system where you, know, you kind of have money coming in, you have these multiple bank accounts, and then you shift money, you transfer money to these other bank accounts. And so, you know, we've we've been doing it for years. Obviously, it's become a lot more complicated with now we have four entities, and so we have like you know times X amount of bank accounts. So it, it becomes a little bit more complicated, but. Uh, it, it works pretty well. So like every week, we're taking a certain amount of money and we're moving into a profit account. We take a certain amount of money and we're moving into our, our tax account. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, when, the, when it hits a certain number, we're kind of taking a distribution or we're taking that money and we're going and investing in something um, that, that should you know, be a cash-producing asset. And then whenever our quarterly tax bills come due or our you know, annual tax bills come due, uh, or even we put like property taxes in there because we, you know, we owe those too. Uh, everything comes out of that tax account, and it, especially especially the big swings of money. It's that's been a huge benefit because, like, as you grow, like understanding how much cash you have available and how much you don't have available is like key. Yeah. So for us, just like literally moving it from one account to the other and like like sectioning it off, like mentally helps you like blockade that money. Versus if you have just one giant slush fund, like a certain week. I mean, you have your you know we put a lot on credit cards. We have credit card and, and payroll and like royalties and all these bills do. I mean, we might have, you know, a uh, $500,000 a week of, of expenses that have to go out. And so if, you know, by, by sectioning it off, it helps you plan for that a little bit better. So 
so yeah, we we follow kind of a profit first model every week, trying to move a little bit of money into these 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 profit accounts, and then um, certain levels taking it out or or investing it. And what does that investment look like into other vehicles outside of your business? Yeah, sure. So I've gone uh, down many rabbit holes with this. Uh, you know, as members of GoBundance, we we hear kinds of all kinds of deals, and you learn and you try things and. So like over the years, I've evolved from like we tried single family homes, we owned a bunch of them, like Section Eight ones, and you know, we buy these things for fifty grand or seventy grand, and then they end up just being a huge uh, headache. And you know, so we sold all those. And I, I do own a, a multi unit. Uh, we own a multi unit apartment building, like fourteen unit, but even that's not worth it to be honest. Hmm. Uh, so so for us, we've kind of decided, hey, if we can buy our own real estate, we do that whenever possible. But as I mentioned, that's that's hard to do. But you know, the cash is there if we need it. We uh, I invest in syndications, so I find guys, you know, like like you guys, like Josh McCallan, we talking about like um, a, a bunch of other guys who, you know, their full time job is to invest into real estate and to find good deals and to manage it. And so I'll, um, you know, we'll deploy whatever fifty thousand, seventy five, hundred thousand at a time into these deals and let them, you know, kind of take the ball and run with it. Uh, so I'm I'm across self storage, you know, multifamily. I'm in the the green coffee company. Uh, um, uh, hospitality. I'm in some new uh, one new construction deal. So th- those are those are those are cool because you know I, I I trust the people. I trust the markets. I can diversify in, in multiple ways. Um, I do. We do some hard money lending. So like direct. I, I'm I'm very comfortable. Obviously, you know, as a borrow structuring notes and, and dealing with um, you know banks and other people. And so you know we've we've taken that knowledge and you know built a little portfolio of our own money, uh, lending it out to. Um, to people that we know and some people through a broker to do uh, flips and, and bridge loans and stuff uh, that we're getting, I don't know, 15% or so all in with points and everything. So that's been a good little business. And you know, it's nice to be in the bank and not having to deal with all the, the bullshit tenants and and uh, and repairs and stuff. Yep. Um, so, but like, I don't know, you know, right now it's just kind of our own thing. I don't know if we're going to do anything more than that with it. And um, besides that, I, I try to keep it simple on the equity side. I, you know, I, I went down a rabbit hole of, you know, stocks and all the options and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, it just it was all a distraction from, yeah. you know, focus on my business. So now I'm back to like just dollar cost average into index funds and um, not worry about it and like take that brain like space of trying to time the market and all this bullshit into how do I just make more money in my business and then I can throw it into a, the, these low cost stuff. Um, I'm also into, you know the the whole life cash value life insurance mm-hmm. banking whatever you want to call it so i've you know policies for myself and my 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 wife and you know we we view that as a great uh, and my kid, i have two kids i for them too so we we view that as a as a way to like to to protect cash cuz it's protected from creditors and stuff and you can it's it's um get good interest rates and good return on it you can access it at any point and so you know i put a good amount of money into those every year to to act as more of a cash position and to to warehouse some money so that's awesome, dude. And so, of your kind of overall total income, you know, what are you putting in the reserve accounts? What are you allocating towards investments every month? And you know, what's kind of the the lifestyle fund? Um, I don't know. Like we've we've done a pretty good job of of trying not to spend money. Like you know, we we renovate the house and we renovate you know some some other projects. But like you know, I, I think um we're we're saving. I don't know. I probably eighty percent of whatever we make. I mean, it's it's a good amount of money that we're 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 constantly looking to, you know, not not spend and just try to just try to continue to save and just try to build something because, you know, I really understand the power of compounding and mm-hmm. and you know the more money we can put to work, 
you know, the, the better. And so, um, you know, that's the, a, a high, a high percentage of what I make. I, I, we save. Awesome, dude. I love it. Slow, boring strategies that unlock sexy results. That's the discipline yep. most people just don't show they can diligently have over a long period of time. And they wonder why they can't unlock some of those amazing successes that the people that do the boring, consistent, you know, actions over an extended period of time end up getting to unlock. So, dude, big congrats to you and all your success. And I know a lot of more people are going to want to know more about your podcasts and a lot of the stuff that you've got going on. They may have questions about, you know, how you've been able to scale, you know, from six to $36 million in top line revenue using that particular strategy. Where's the best place for them to learn more about what you got going on, man? Yeah, a few different things. Uh, I'm on I'm on Twitter a lot now, working on building an audience there. So um, just Brian Beers, B-R-I-A-N-B-E-E-R-S, like the drink. They can, they can, I'm sure you'll link it up. Uh, that, that would be the best way in terms of like communication. If they have questions, they can, they can DM me on that. Um, and brianbeers.com, I have, I have a newsletter I put out um, you know, about every two weeks or so where I'm, I'm kind of diving into a lot of things on rolling up franchising. This week was on like how to select you know, the right franchise to roll up. Uh, and I talk about some different investments that we do and kind of the, the theory behind them. And besides that, yeah, my podcast is Business with Beers and you know, on all the major platforms. And similar to, to this, I'm bringing on entrepreneurs, uh, business owners. We're talking about you know, how, to, how to scale a business. We're talking about you know, what success they had, what failures they had, lessons they you know, learned along the way, uh, and, and all, that, uh, all that good stuff. So yeah, Business with Beers on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Well, uh, head over to millionermindcast.com on Brian's episode. We'll have all the links in the show notes for you guys to check out. All the resources, websites, references, handles. Uh, Brian, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, man. Thanks for your time today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info, and how you can connect with us live, in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.